Good morning, everyone. It's a delight to be with you here at Wodonga District Baptist Church. For those that don't know me, my name is Camille Magdaly. I am originally from the United States. I come from Arab heritage. It's a great heritage. And by the call of God, I ended up in Jerusalem years ago as a young guy and met a lovely lady from Geelong, Victoria. Met on Mount Zion, married on Mount Zion, began to preach my first sermons on Mount Zion, got a master's degree on Mount Zion. Yes, it was the genesis of many good things. We've been involved in a variety of ministry activities over the years, pastoral, ministry, Bible college, principal, and so on, but for the last 18 years, we've been running a ministry based in Melbourne called Teach all nations. And yes, Pastor David's right, it comes straight out of Matthew 28, uh, verse 18, saying, where Jesus gives the Great Commission, go and teach all nations. Teaching them what? Teaching them all things whatsoever God has commanded through his son Jesus. So in other words, we are a Bible and Holy Spirit ministry with a prophetic edge. This morning I will speak to you about Bible prophecy. And I am the most unlikely person to be teaching on Bible prophecy. Why? Because when I was a young, well, I was a uni student, and that's young, I was busy studying for exams and all my friends wanted to go hear the prophecy teachers telling us that the barcodes were the mark of the beast, telling us the rapture was at any moment, like Jesus could come tonight. And of course, I wanted to finish my you know, uni, I wanted to get married. How, how can Jesus ruin all my plans by coming so soon? And, and also, I found that there was a lot of sensationalism and alarmism. And I don't like being alarmed. Most people don't. I'm trying to get through uni and through the papers and all that, let let alone trying to unscramble the prophetic egg. So when people were going one way to the prophecy conferences, I was going the other way. And then, like today with this bright light, Damascus Road experience, (laughs) I changed. Why did I change? Because God showed me that prophecy is not just good for you, It is vital for you. If you're into healthy living, organic food, exercise, fresh air, water, then you should be ultra-orthodox when it comes to God's word and prophetic word in particular. In early days, when I say early days, let's say in the 70s and the 80s, prophecy was still a popular subject. By the 90s, it was starting to hit hard times. By the end of the 90s, well, let me give you an example. In the Bible college, I had been the prophecy teacher, and it was a very popular class. It was a core subject. That means you have to do it to graduate. It was offered every year. I got good reports, and then by the end of the 90s, it was demoted to an elective offered every three years, and not only that, I still remember a mature age student coming to me. He was in his 40s, 
He wasn't just a young teenager here. He's in his 40s. He said, Pastor, do I really have to learn Bible prophecy? I said, why? He says, I just want to plant churches and win souls. Does it matter when the rapture is? Does it matter? Is there a thousand-year reign of Christ? Does it really matter to know prophecy? Short answer, yes. Why? Because at least one-third of this book is devoted to prophecy. So if you say it doesn't matter, you've just kissed goodbye to that much of God's word. And I found that God is, takes his word very seriously. He says, don't add and don't subtract to what is written. It's time to come back, and you'll hear me talk about it again, to a high view of scripture. It is written. And so, <clears throat> I'll be speaking to you from Matthew chapter 24. That's a very famous passage, and we'll read it in a moment. But just to say, yes, we do have a resource table there. I was, the reason I'm here is because I'm on a speaking tour for the eighth year in a row called Understanding the Times. We work with Vision Christian Media. I know you don't have Vision here in Wodonga, but it's, they're good people, let me tell you. <laughs> I know you have a great station light, I understand. But we are here for a specific purpose. We have a passion to help God's people know what is going on, why it's going on, offer a message of hope, a mess a practical ways forward. And so we met last night and there were visitors, a fair few visitors, and it was great. If you want more information about what we were doing there, the, the actual message has been recorded properly, anything like that, you just go to our website. Everything you need is there. And a website is simple to remember. Teach all nations, tan, like a suntan, dot org, dot au. <clears throat> and you will find it there. But I also just mentioned on the table there are books and MB3s and vouchers for digital download. We have Bible book studies verse by verse. We have topical studies like Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is both now a book as well as an audio teaching. We have the book of Genesis. We have if you like Bible prophecy, I have a book called Alpha and Omega. Uh, we have one on Jerusalem in the last days. That one is a real killer. It's so fascinating. That's, Jerusalem is always in the news. There's a reason why. and has nothing to do with natural resources, nothing to do with strategic location. has everything to do with theology. Because Jerusalem is the city of the great king. That's why the nations are obsessed about who owns Jerusalem. So we have all that available. Leanne will be happy to help you. And if you like the subject of world trends or want to know what's going on in the world from a biblical view, always with a note of hope, then I'm offering a deep dive, which is basically an online class for four weeks on this subject of world trends and prophecy. All that information you get from us here or you get it on tan.org.au. And one final thing, <clears throat> if anyone wants to go to the Holy Land, it's a great way to learn the Bible in 10 days, then we're offering that too in February. We've only done 43 tours thus far. Leanne has organized 30 of them plus, and we've taken many hundreds of Aussies 
and Americans and Malaysians and Singaporeans. It's a great commonwealth gathering. All right. Anyway, Matthew 24. <clears throat> I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's over 50 verses long. It has parallel passages in <clears throat> Luke and in Mark. Mark 13, Luke 21 are similar to Matthew 24. The context of the reading is that Jesus is visiting Jerusalem with his disciples. They are not from Jerusalem. They are from Galilee. Not far away, but a whole different world, Jerusalem and Galilee. And when, you do, when Jesus did a miracle in Galilee, everyone rejoiced. When Jesus did a miracle in Jerusalem, some believed and some did not. Even when someone rose from the dead, it was a divided house. Jerusalem can be as hard as the stone that graces its walls. And so Jesus is visiting the temple, a very impressive building built by Herod the Great. And he, his disciples are cooing over how beautiful this temple is. And Jesus pours cold water on it by saying, see what you see? It's not going to be around for much longer. Not one stone will be left on top of another. So with that in mind, <clears throat> verse 3 to verse 14 of Matthew 24. <clears throat> And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And many, then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end shall come. <clears throat> On that note, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day in your house with your people. We thank you for the open heaven above the church. We thank you for your light that shines and dispels all darkness. We thank you your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who teaches all things and brings all things to our remembrance whatsoever you have commanded. We thank you most of all for Jesus, the Savior, the Lord, the King of glory, 
the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We thank you that we are here today because of him. He is the beginning. He is the end. And Lord, we long for his coming. And until he comes, we will occupy for that blessed event, the blessed hope of the church. So we thank you for your word, which is good seed. May our hearts be as good soil so that we may bear 30, 60, and 100-fold fruitfulness in Christ's name. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. We are looking at the most wonderful event we could imagine in our lifetime. And that is the return of Christ. But please understand, the church has been waiting for the return of Christ for 2,000 years. But the thing that we have to remember, everybody is going to see Jesus soon, one way or the other, either up there or down here. But the difference is when he comes down here, he's coming for his kingdom. And he's going to reign forever and ever. You see, Bible prophecy needs to come back to the fore. And there is anecdotal evidence that the church is waking up to the majesty and grandeur of prophecy. Yes, I was an unlikely convert to prophecy for the reasons I just gave. I found it confusing. I found it alarming. I found it upsetting. But then God showed me, no, it's none of those things you think. It, we learn from 2 Peter 1.19. It is a light that shines in a dark place. It is the brightest light we have till Jesus, the light of the world, comes back. Friends, we need some light because there's a whole lot of darkness out there, isn't there? That's one thing. It's a heads up to the future. It's an incentive for holy living. It's an incentive for evangelism. It is not written to scare the daylights out of God's people. On the contrary, it is written to build up or edify the church and to bring comfort to the church. All these I could give you scripture references for. And I found that there's something in the heart of people. They really do want, as it were, that heads up for the future. I mean, if you could give a heads up in the norm, you'd be a very wealthy man. People who come to you for, you know, the information of what is happening next. Well, of course, we don't peddle the word of God for money. We proclaim it because it is life to those that find it and health to all their flesh. We know there are disagreements as to certain timing of certain events like the rapture, which is a biblical event, by the way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, or whether Jesus is going to have a thousand-year reign or not have a thousand-year reign. Don't let this put you off from the main event, because all true Christians can believe and accept two things. Jesus is coming back, we all agree, and when he comes back, we will be with him forever. That's just plus, 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 win, win, win. So he is giving us mileposts along the way. I'm very grateful for the GPS that's on my phone navigating me across Australia on this six-week tour. We're going four states all the way to the outback, Kalgoorlie, Kununurra, as well as Perth and Rockhampton and Brisbane and all that. And I've just discovered if you tell it the exact address, it will get you there 
It will get you there within the time frame it says. It will anticipate traffic. I mean, that's, that's very helpful information. Well, we have a better GPS. It's found in the Word of God. And it's, the details are remarkable. There are what we can call pre-signs, like the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilence. None of this is nice, by the way. No one's endorsing it. But they are meant to show you you're on track. There's the milepost. This is the signage. You're getting closer to the desired destination. So we won't worry about all those pre-signs. I want to focus on just five signs. Five major signs. And if you can understand these five major signs, everything else even what you read in the newspapers, what you experience in day-to-day -day living, what you find with people in the streets, it will start to make sense. Because as Proverbs teaches us, you can be foolish, you can be a scorner, you can be simple, and that's a one-way ticket to oblivion, or you can be wise, understanding, and knowledgeable. And it tells us wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all you're getting, get understanding, and there is no better way to get it than from the Bible itself. Can I have an amen to that? Amen. I'm in a Baptist church. You should be shouting from the housetop. <laughs> so, well, first sign. Jesus says in verse 4, that when asked... What's going to be the sign of his coming in the end of the age? The first thing he says, take heed, be careful, watch out, that no man deceive you. Has anyone noticed we're in a world of increasing deception? I remember growing up where telling the truth was a virtue and lying made you an outcast. Not anymore. There are people... Even sometimes they are found in churches. I mean, church doesn't necessarily immunize you from this kind of thing. But there are people, they can tell lies so convincingly that you could get an Academy Award. But lying is a serious issue. What do we know? Let me tell you, without exaggeration, there is a war on truth. And for good reason. Not that it's good to war on truth, but understandable. Truth is powerful. Truth is transformational. Truth, according to Jesus, sets you free. But remember, truth can also be confronting. And when you're confronted with truth, especially in an age of deception, it can be a shock. Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you cannot believe me. Simply because you're so lulled to sleep by lies, misinformation, disinformation, mendacity, spin, gaslighting. So many new words to tell the same old thing. War on truth. Jesus talks about, and the New Testament, there'll be many false prophets, many false teachers, many false Christs. Now, I hope that at least gets our attention. We're in a war. This is, this is an invasion on truth led by the, a liar and the father of lies, Satan himself. Remember, Satan can't even say good morning without lying. It is his mother tongue. 
We no more want to be in the realm of lying than we want to be on the devil's side. And yet that's what happens. Remember one of the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness. I take that so seriously that before I pass on any information to people who deserve to and need to know, I want to make sure it's accurate. And it's just hearsay. I weigh it up. I think that's part of the academic background. I still have a classic academic background. Prove your source or use, what do we call it, primary sources and be able to justify and cite where you got your information from. And the internet is not necessarily always accurate. <laughs> or social media for that matter. Friends, we should be ultra-Orthodox when it comes to the realm of truth. After all, if you're believing lies and falsehood, you're being misled and you're going to a destination you don't really want to go to. So we've got to get it right. How? Let me put it this way. Because there is a war on truth and the devil is waging it and making a lot of, taking a lot of ground to the point that biblical literacy is at an all-time low, which is ironic because we've got a plethora of Bible translations, Bible study tools, and other things, both hard copy and on the net. And biblical worldview, according to the experts, is also at an all-time low. What does it mean, a biblical worldview? You view the world from the prism of the Bible. They estimate in the United States Something like only 6% of people, of Christians, have a biblical worldview. Now that is alarming. That's a state of emergency. If I was running a denomination or pastoring a local church, I would be, uh, I'd be remedying it as fast as I can. Because frankly, if we don't view things from a biblical worldview, we're not viewing things from God's view. If we're not viewing it the way Jesus does. Remember, whatever Jesus does, that's what God does. Well, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. What God sounds like? Listen to Jesus. What God thinks on anything? Again, Jesus is your guide. So there is an antidote for this barrage, this invasion of lies. And it's called truth. But not just your truth, my truth, their truth. God's truth. Because God's truth, friends, is the only truth worth knowing. Everything else is sinking sand. What or where can we find God's truth? It's disarmingly simple. Many of you know the answer, or at least let me put it together to you in a convenient format. God's truth is found through a person. Pontius Pilate said to the person, what is truth? And yet he didn't realize he was looking at truth eyeball to eyeball. His name is Jesus. He said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. All right. And there's more. There's another source of divine truth found in John 16, 13. And that is the Holy Spirit. He is called by Jesus the Spirit of truth. Like Jesus, the Holy Spirit will never lead you astray. Whatever he tells you, you can bank on it. You can stake your life on it. It is genuine. It is real. And it is from God. 
There's a third source of truth also mentioned in the Gospel of John, 1717, in the great intercessory prayer. He said, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. So there you've got it. Threefold source of divine truth. Christ, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. When these are operative in your life, you are safely inoculated from deception and falsehood. Friends, if I can give you a pastoral practical piece of advice, cultivate the facility of discernment. Don't just believe everything you hear. Practice discernment. And even if the wolf is dressed up very nicely as a sheep, the good thing is the Holy Spirit will tell you <laughs> that's a wolf, not a lamb. Practice discernment. Discernment will preserve you. The lack of discernment can destroy. Again, according to the book of Proverbs. Well, that's the first, that's, I've given you the antidote. And by the way, cultivate with that love of truth that you want it to be a high view of truth. To have a high view of truth, you have to have a high view of scripture. I have a high view of scripture. I believe it's all from God. I believe every word is inspired, every letter is inspired, every part of every letter of every word is inspired. And the reason is because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 18. Not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away to all be fulfilled. Have a, have a love of the truth and you're in good hands and you have a bright future. Second thing has to do with the great shaking, verse 29 of Matthew 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Friends, part of what we're living through with all the pandemics and geopolitical challenges and economic challenges, and it's all kind of full on and in your face and not very pleasant. It's part of a shaking. The Bible speaks that in the last days, God is not going to just shake the earth only, but also heavens. Now, we haven't seen the heavens shaken yet. I don't think we're in the mood for it just now anyway. But this is pre just, just preceding when Jesus appears. Now, the point is, the 20th century was a century of shakings, cataclysmic type shakings. The Great War or the First World War was a shaking. And here's a nation of five million people, the Commonwealth of Australia, they sent the best and brightest to the battlefields in Europe and lost 60,000 soldiers for king and country. Now that is a shaking. Not only, of course, Australia, but other countries lost many troops as well. But what is interesting, after that war finished in 1918, we had a whole new world. It changed the whole map from empires to nation states. And then while the ink was drying on the armistice agreement, the Spanish flu pandemic broke out. And apparently more people died in peacetime in the flu than they did in the war. If you lived in 1919, you would have been justified to think this is the end. And yet the end was not yet. There was a Great Depression following that. There was a Second World War, 55 million people killed. And we definitely, after that, had a new world. Then we had the Cold War. Then we have the 21st century with 9-11, with natural disasters, with economic woes like the GFC. And now we have a new problem, the inflation with potential stagflation. 
This is all a shaking. So what is the antidote for shaking? Build your house upon a rock. When you build your house upon a rock, you can and you will withstand all of life's storms. How do you get on the rock? Well, you don't get there by plane or train or bus. You get there by obedience to Christ's words. Matthew 7, 24, 25. If you hear these sayings of mine and do them, you are what kind of person? Wise. Wise. You're building your house upon the rock. And the rains will descend, the floods will rise, the wind will beat on that house, and it will still be standing because it's on a rock. I grew up in California, earthquake country, and I'll tell you, the Californians have learned their lessons. They build buildings that have deep foundations, but also can sway without crumbling. Friends, the words of Jesus are not just nice words not just great moral teaching. They are life. They are health. They are light because they come from God's love. So obedience to Christ makes you unshakable. We're receiving a kingdom, God's kingdom, that cannot be shaken. Keep that in mind. I now have the third sign. And it says in verse 12, of Matthew 24, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But it, the word iniquity can also be translated lawless or lawlessness. Because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Or Matthew 7, 23, and Jesus says, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You may have been noticing instinctually, you may have been noticing overtly, but we're living in increasingly lawless times. It's not as bad here in Australia as, say, the United States, but it's increasingly lawless. Now, lawlessness normally we think of as criminals doing crimes, and hopefully getting caught by the police prosecuted and justice is administered. But it's beyond just criminals in the streets. Lawlessness is happening even in the corridors of power, increasing corruption, increasing unconstitutional activity, even attempts like in America to defund the police. Now that's not real, that sounds like a really good recipe of how to increase crime <laughs> and, and so on. A lot of this lawlessness is ideological and basically it comes from an unbiblical view that people are basically good. So when they do crimes, it's not because they are sinners, they're doing crimes because, well, you know, they, they had a bad lot in life. They weren't breastfed. They weren't put on a cold potty. They were not sent to the right school. Their mother didn't tell them they loved them many times over. It's never, and it's never their fault. It's always somebody else's fault that they do what they do. Of course, the biblical view is different. And of course, it's true. The biblical view is we are made in God's image. We are loved of God. He has plans for us. But none of that will come to pass if we don't deal with the sin issue. And when we understand that we have truth, 
This truth sets us free and we will become fruit-bearing, responsible, and honorable members of society. So lawlessness is increasingly happening even in the highest realms of power. And remember that basically Antichrist is called the lawless one. The spirit of Antichrist which wants to detach you from your faith, from your family, from your freedom, from your nation state. So what is the antidote? Well the antidote, because I'm always, look, I don't come bringing problems. I come bringing solutions. The antidote, of course, ultimately, the coming of Jesus, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, will destroy the lawless one. Okay, is there anything we can do while we're waiting for Jesus to come and destroy the lawless one? Well, yes, of course. One thing is, as I shared last night, if we're gonna live victoriously, surviving and thriving in these crazy mixed up times in which we live, we first of all have to wake up and not be in denial, wake up to what is actually happening. We have to watch. Now watching takes courage because when you watch, you're gonna see things you don't necessarily like. God de deliberately allows that. In Psalm 91, it talks about the same thing. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. I would prefer not to see such things, but when you're walking with God, you're not the boss. He is, and God, through Christ and the apostles, command us repeatedly. We need to watch, we need to pray, we need to do his will. In fact, it's like people. Have you noticed people walking on the streets, totally oblivious to where they're walking because they're so glued to their smartphones? They're more connected to someone halfway around the world than to the pickpocket right behind them. Friends, this is not the way to live. We need to be both aware of the long term and the far away and the local too. God is commanding us to watch. If you want to deal with the lawless one, wake up, watch, pray, obey. That's what I shared last night. Wake up, watch, pray, and obey. Because when you see things and you understand what's happening, God is gonna download to you what you need to do, personally, practically, effectively. Uh, you'll be involved in the community in some way. You will be able to intercede in an effective manner. You will also be able to grow in your faith as you see God at work as a result of your activity, knowing you're not doing this all by yourself. We're part of a community. We're part of a church working together for the goodness, for the good of all. That's the third sign. So the first sign is deception. Second sign is shaking. Third sign is lawlessness. Fourth sign is the granddaddy of them all as far as the negative signs because the last one is a positive sign. And the granddaddy of it all is found in verse 15. When ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Verse 15. <clears throat> this is probably the single most significant sign. It hasn't happened yet, not in our day. 
It has happened in history, but they're before Jesus came, 200 years before. So <clears throat> this is so important that it actually has an exhortation in the verse. When you read this, make sure you understand what it means. That's how important it is. And of course, the truth is many people read it. They don't understand what it means. So what did they do? They keep reading on. I understand that. I did it for many years myself. I didn't know what it meant. So go on to something a little more pleasant. What is it really about? <clears throat> First of all, what it's about is a singular event. It's the culmination of the long war against God that's been happening since the Garden of Eden. The kingdom of darkness finally trying to make its ultimate power grab against the kingdom of light. What is it? Well, first of all, when you want to know what any verse says, it's good to define the terms. What is abomination? Abomination simply means to grievously offend God. Now, please bear in mind, God is big. He can handle our nonsense. He really can. Nevertheless, I, that's what abomination means. It means to offend God. And normally, in particular, with regard to idolatry. If you know your Bible, you know that God doesn't take too kindly to idolatry, especially to Israel, who should know better. The invisible God delivered them miracles after miracles after miracles. The idols delivered nothing at all. They can't speak, they can't think, they can't act, <clears throat> they can't do anything. So why would Israel forsake the worship of God for idols? Good question, but I guess we find part of the answer when they said we want our own king, a human king, we don't want God as king, so we can be like all the other nations. We don't want to be conspicuous. We don't want to stand out in the crowd. We don't want to be misunderstood or possibly rejected. We want to be like everyone else. And that's why we have a tendency to want to be in the cool group. And I found that God doesn't want us in the cool group. God doesn't want us to be cool at all. God wants us to be hot, on fire, ablaze for him, revived. So anyway, abomination means to grievously offend God. So what's the desolation? Well, the desolation is the end result of God being furiously unhappy with the abomination. So what idol are we talking about? By the way, idolatry is more than just bowing down to a figurine that is man-made. Idolatry, is, I've heard a wonderful definition which I'm happy to pass on to you. It's giving value to anything in life, including good things that is a higher value than what you give to God himself. It's worshiping and serving anything more than almighty God. That ultimately, to me, is the best description of idolatry I could imagine. Now, <clears throat> not here to offend anyone, but for example, in this nation, in this state, this august state of Victoria, which I have lived in for 35 years, so I feel I can say something. We are very sports mad. Only in this state, I don't know any other place <clears throat> on the planet, we don't have just one, but two holidays that have to do with sport. Sport is good. It really is good. And especially doing sport, I think, is better than just watching it. Because we 
have lots to do for God and it's best to do it in a fit, trim body. So nothing wrong with sport per se. Just don't worship it. Worship God. It can, idolatry can be anything that you give greater value than to God. But that's not what this is about. It's about ultimately the fulfillment of 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 talking about the lawless one who takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Daniel is the one who told us about this event. And Jesus calls Daniel the prophet. Even though Daniel never prophesied Daniel interpreted dreams very effectively and then God gave him a few dreams of his own. He could interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams but he couldn't always interpret the dreams God gave him. But Jesus calls him a prophet and if Jesus calls him a prophet that's good enough for us too. That's why Daniel is in the prophetic section of the Old Testament whereas for the Jewish Bible he's in the writings because well he didn't prophesy. At least not recorded. But Abraham is called a prophet and David is called a prophet even though again we don't have those explicit thus saith the Lord's. The whole point is the lawless one will go into God's house and say, I am God, look no further, worship me. When that happens, if we understand the prophetic passages, then God starts to pour out his wrath. And that's where the desolation happens. What's the solution? Jesus tells those in Judea and Jerusalem, if you happen to be there and this guy says, I am God, then don't worship him, turn around and run as fast as you can. Now, I just read it this morning in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9. In fact, that's a good exercise if I may suggest it. Proverbs will make you very wise, so read it every day. So whatever is the day, date of the month, like it's the 9th of October, so I read the 9th chapter of Proverbs. But even there it says, forsake the foolish and live. If you hang around the man of sin, the lawless one, when he gets zapped, so do you. So go the opposite way and go to safety. But there's something else as the antidote. I'm just doing a study on Habakkuk or Habakkuk. And at the very end, when all, everything goes wrong, fig tree doesn't blossom, no fruit on the vine, so on and so forth, rejoice in the Lord Joy in the God of your salvation. Draw strength from God and he will give you the hind's feet or the deer's feet and you will walk on the high places. That's the antidote. Finally, number five. This is the good part. The good sign. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end shall come. Praise God for the gospel. The gospel is truth. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel is for everybody. It's not just for some, it's for all. It applies to all people, in all cultures, at all times. In other words, the gospel, contrary to what postmodernism teaches, is absolute truth. It's God's truth. We're thankful for the gospel. If you want a definition of the gospel, it's very simple. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 5. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. 
heart and soul. Believe it, receive him. You're on your way to the kingdom of God. That's the gospel. Is the gospel going forth? Yes, it is. And in these trying times in which we live in, it's going forth even more than in the nice, easygoing times. People are hungrier for God today than they've ever been. And I dare say, it's gonna, if the people in Australia aren't hungry just yet, they will be very soon. Because not only is God all we have, God is all we need. And we access God through the, his son Jesus and the glorious, wonderful gospel. What is very interesting is wherever you hear the news media, shall we say, piling on a country, they're in the bad books. For example, the Western media has certain countries that are in the bad books. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. And look, I'm not saying that what the media is reporting is necessarily incorrect. It may or may not be. But when you hear these nations, it's normally not in a positive context. Is that right? Yes. Well, guess what? The gospel is going forth even from such places as these. Korea, now I'm going to talk about the whole of Korea, not just the north, was 70 years ago a Buddhist country. Today, it's like 40% Christian, with some of the largest churches in the world parked in that peninsula. How on earth did that happen in these last days? Well, it happened by the sovereignty of God and raising up people who love to pray and love to have small groups. That's apparently the formula they had that works for them. They are so zealous for prayer, they actually have created 75 prayer mountains. <laughs> and you go on your annual leave. Can you imagine? Take, you only get two weeks annual leave. You go to your prayer mountain on the annual leave into a little grotto, and they're very little. A lot of you guys here, it wouldn't fit. The Koreans fit, you wouldn't. And, and they pray and they fast for the two weeks in that little grotto. It's just big, it's no bigger than a phone booth. And they, it's, it's incredible. Prayer does change things. But Korea also has become, in the last 70 years, the second biggest mission-sending nation after the United States. Who would have believed it a few decades before? Then you have Iran. They're the bad boy of the Middle East. And, you know, there's justification for that label because of what they do in undermining other countries. But it's paradoxical. Iran has had great influence on Islam, especially promoting Shia Islam versus Sunni Islam. But you know what? The biggest growing national church in the world per capita is Iran. Very evangelistic, very fearless, of course suppressed as much as they can by the government because no non-Christian government likes to see this happen. But I, from my understanding, some of these Iranians have crossed the border into Afghanistan because the languages are similar and that's part of why we have an indigenous Afghani church today. This is from Iran. 
Iran is an important nation. It's a famous nation. It had a glorious empire. I think they would like to have it again. But, you know, it's an amazing thing. And then what about Russia? Russia has had prophecies given over it before communism even and after that there would be a great move of God there that would spread to neighboring countries and have a global impact. There is a phrase, and I can't tell you where it comes from. I've heard it over the years. Mother Russia will save the world. Now, is it because of the Russian Orthodox Church? Is it despite the Russian Orthodox Church? I won't say that's for God to work out. But what I can say is since the fall of communism, non-Orthodox churches like Baptists, like Pentecostals, have been growing. They have their challenges for sure. But already the influence of the Russian church is being felt beyond the borders of Russia. And what about China? We hear about China a lot. And we need to know about China. It's too big to ignore. And it's got a rich history, past, heritage. And of course, one of the most amazing things is what Arthur Wallace wrote about in his book, The China Miracle. I think it was in the 80s he wrote it. How after centuries of missionary endeavor, centuries, when China became the Communist People's Republic in 1949, half a billion people, centuries of missionary endeavor netted one million Protestants, three million Catholics, out of half a billion people. That's 1949. Then the church went through very hard times, especially under Mao and his cultural revolution. We kind of wondered, would there be any church left after 10 years of mayhem, anarchy, and chaos? And when the curtain lifted at the end of the cultural revolution, we discovered the church didn't just survive it really, really thrived. We don't know how many Christians are there in China today. They're in the tens of millions, probably at least 100, billion, 100 million or more. And this is very interesting. I was in Israel at a Messianic Bible college talking about this very subject, and then I just prophesied and said, mark my words, the Chinese are coming. Not in a menacing sense, but just the Chinese are coming. No joke, the very next day, 20 mainland Chinese showed up at that Bible college, led by a non-Christian, but the non-Christian said, I have Christians in this delegation, and Christianity is growing in China. There's more. China could be on track for being the biggest mission-sending nation in history. It's called Back to Jerusalem. Going on the old Silk Road, but instead of going from west to east for the spices and the silk of China, it's the opposite way. It's from east to west. 100,000 Chinese missionaries traveling the old Silk Road on the most challenging terrain, gospel-wise, you can imagine. Because between China and Jerusalem are, are Buddhist, Hindu and Muslim strongholds. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the gospel is going forth and from the most unlikely places, as you can see. Friends, these are challenging times, but let me tell you from God's perspective, challenge and crisis is the womb of opportunity.
depends on your attitude, depends on your faith, depends on your obedience, but it's there. So we believe Jesus is coming, the gospel's going forth, these signs are following, but at the end of the day, what do you want to do about it? And as I shared last night, I already shared it once, may I share it again. I urge you, don't try to avoid what's happening. Open up your eyes and watch. God is going to speak to you. God is going to challenge you. God is going to call you. This could be your finest hour. Some of you are looking for purpose. Some of you are looking for direction. Some of you are wondering, why am I under this pressure cooker? Please understand, if you're in the pressure cooker and you're walking rightly before God, he's preparing you for enlargement and promotion. That's what the pressure cooker is about. David said, you enlarge me, Psalm 4 verse 1, when I was in distress. Trust God. He will see you through. And when you come out, you will be better than gold. When you come out, you'll have a whole new life. Every major move in my life that has opened doors has always been preceded by the pressure cooker. Don't be afraid of the pressure. You're not in it by yourself. You have God, you have the church, and you have all the resources that Scripture can uh, it points us out too. My question to you as I get ready to close, are you ready for the future? Are you future friendly? Faith is a future friendly act. Family is future friendly. Education is future friendly. All these things are so important. Of course, walk, the kingdom of God is future friendly. It is our future. There is no other future outside the kingdom itself. And that's why we ask, are you ready? Are you watching? Are you praying? Are you obeying? If you pray and obey, you're on a rock. You're on your way. You'll land on your feet. You have nothing to worry about. God will see you through. With that in mind, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. <clears throat> Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for Matthew 24, for all your word. It's all inspired. It's all profitable. We thank you that your prophetic word is a light that shines in a dark place. And Father, we're asking you to please help us. Please help us to respond in a way that honors you, extends your kingdom, and brings blessing to others. We thank you that there are eyes that are opening. There are visions that are being cast, just like Nehemiah. He didn't like hearing that his home city had broken walls and despondent people, but he needed to hear it so that he could hear from you, pray, take action, leadership by example, and he prepared the holy city for the coming of Jesus a half a millennia later. Lord, crisis is the womb of opportunity. And pressure leads to enlargement. I pray, speak to the people that this is applying to and help them to see tomorrow will be better because of the decision they made today. We thank you in Jesus' name. And just before I finish, 
I want to pray a second time. I want to pray for those who want to get right with God, want to get closer to Jesus, want to get through the pressure cooker. In other words, it's in all, there's several categories here, but I'd like to give you a chance to respond and I will pray accordingly. If you're not future ready, you're not right with God, or you're not handling the crisis right, even though you're a Christian, or you just want some direction, you want some relief, you just want to draw close to God so he can draw close to you, then I'd like to take a second moment here and pray. If you'd like me to pray for you on these categories or more, just slip up your hand. Okay, bless you. Yes, amen. Amen. Okay, let, let me pray the second time. Father, thank you for the light of your word shining brightly on those who have responded. I pray as the light comes in, any and all darkness will go out. Where there is fear, substituted with faith. Where there is unforgiveness, substituted with love and grace. Where there is deception, let your truth just come in and chase the liar, Satan, away. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. I also extend the prayer to Pastor David and the Wodonga District Baptist Church. I pray, Father, they have a good foundation, that they will build on that foundation, and that, Lord, you are the master builder. I believe there's sufficient prudence here, I've just discerned, that they won't do anything that you're not in. They're not going to, and I just pray, keep them on track. They're not going to do the good ideas which are like the Tower of Babel. They seem good at the time, but they're really a waste. They're going to do the God ideas because the God ideas are what works, what gets the results, what extends the kingdom, what saves souls, what makes an eternal difference. Keep them on track. And we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. amen. <clears throat>